0: Today, we are throwing a monster mash. Yes, Marvel Monsters continues. Why Marvel Monsters? Because they were dominating in my childhood. They wanted into that monster space and they got there. They got there with Werewolf by Night, they got there with Tomb of Dracula. But today, we are covering my favorite monster. I think the most famous of all the monsters. Frankenstein, The monster of Frankenstein. You have no idea the thrill I had seven years old walking in to the newsstand and seeing Frankenstein throwing down with Thor. Frankenstein throwing down with Spider-Man, punching into the wall as Spider-Man, you know, tries to avoid him. The Marvel Age of Monsters, Frankenstein, his dominance, the masters that they put on this book when Marvel launched their own Frankenstein series. If it's October... It's about monsters. It's about scary, scary stuff, and we're here to cover it on an all-new episode of Rob's Observations. Hey, everybody! Welcome to another edition of Rob's Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld, hence the Rob of Rob's Observations. If you are joining us for the first time, let me just say welcome and thank you for listening, and thank you for giving us a shot. This is a show steeped in comic books and pop culture and everything that I have loved since I was seven years old. It was born in the fires of the pandemic of abject loneliness, wanting to talk and reach out and share ideas and concepts, uh, that that I have loved and had passion for my entire life. I was fortunate, unfortunate to make my living writing, drawing, creating comic books. I've been doing it for 37 years. I have published thousands of pages of comics, maybe thousands of comics period. Uh, Written, drawn, uh, thousands of pages of stories. Had a publishing company. Printed the actual comics. Went to the press. Printed uh, my own comics at one point. I I know absolutely every part of the business. Uh, created characters for Marvel. Myself uh, helped launch a company called Image Comics, which is still the number three comic book publisher for, uh, and, and has been essentially since the day we were born. Uh, 30 years ago, we are celebrating our 30th anniversary in Image Comics and the birth of Image Comics. And even for one brief shining moment with only seven comics, by the way, and this is the first time you're listening, we were the number two comic company jumping over DC Comics. That's how much crazy heat and uh, and, and energy that was surrounding Image Comics back in the day. But of course, Deadpool, Cable, X-Force, Domino, uh, you've seen them portrayed by Ryan Reynolds and Josh Brolin and Zazie Beetz, uh, the character of Dove on the Titans uh, that was portrayed by Minka Kelly. So many of my characters have come to life in plastic. Uh, as action figures, I mean, I don't know how many plastic vats have been used to to, to create all of these literally hundreds of action figures based on the characters that I've created. I have had an amazing career. I am so thankful for it, but I love the history of comics. And as I talk about the show often, the watching comic books ascend into pop culture has been nothing short of phenomenal from this Uh, young man, at one point, young man's uh, point of view, that young man being seven years old, in 1974 grabbing comic books off the spinner rack realizing that his, his life was going to change forever falling in love with such at the time lesser known characters as prince namor the submariner soon to be seen in wakanda forever for the very first time in the mcu uh, characters like luke cage yes i wanted to be luke cage he was a badass i loved him i loved luke cage power man and how he patrolled the streets of harlem i love the thing from fantastic four i love the fantastic four i watched the x-men get reborn uh, Colossus, Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, literally save a franchise. I have so many episodes that I've done on the X-Men because they were truly the most transformational uh, comic book property in in the 30 years, my, my, my formative kind of three decades. I was fortunate early on in my career to be hired, to be part of uh, th- this amazing X-Men universe and contribute. And that's where Cable and Deadpool and Domino and, 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 and Shatterstar and Strife and so many of these characters came forth and I was able to use that uh, platform to launch my career. And here we are in a podcast where I talk about all of the wonders that I have seen from the incredible Hulk show that, that launched in in 77 with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno to the, you know, the, the Spider-Man TV show. Yes, there was a live action Spider-Man TV show in the seventies on CBS. CBS was the domain for so much of the Marvel live action. Dr. Strange got a two hour movie, Spider-Man had a series. The Hulk was a hit, a legit hit on Friday nights. We've discussed it here ad nauseum. They brought them back in the late '80s as um, made-for-TV movies on NBC, where where he teamed up, Hulk teamed up with Thor and then Daredevil, and it was exciting. And you're like, wow, I'm watching comics advance. I never in a million years would watch them advance to the place that they did. The biggest kind of the biggest catalyst for comic book superhero films, obviously, was 1989. Michael Keaton's amazing portrayal of Batman. Jack Nicholson as Joker. That was kind of the giant signal flare that we were going to head in a different direction that we were going to go further but it took another decade until x-men 2000 yes blade great horror mystery vampire film that's how it was marketed that's how it was made that how that's how it was bought envisioned produced it was not a superhero film the superhero film the comic book film that mattered that broke it all open was x-men in 2000 if that movie does not work the mcu does not get off the ground Marvel was emerging from a bankruptcy, not from low comic book sales, but because of its owner, who had swallowed up so many companies, a sticker company, a distribution company, a toy company, an animation company, on top of the comic book company. And he also owned Revlon, a giant, huge, uh, successful cosmetics company. He took on too much debt. The company went upside down. They went into bankruptcy, and in the emergence of their bankruptcy... Fox had made a very low budget, by especially by today's standards, a 70-ish million dollar movie, which introduced us the world Hugh Jackman. It gave us Patrick Stewart as as, as uh, Professor X, and off we go. And from 2000 to 2022, things have fast tracked the MCU's birth. 2008, Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. The success story of a lifetime uh, on Ali McBeal on television. Uh, you know, re- rehabbing his career. To suddenly the most popular cinematic character and the most popular comic book character, Iron Man, achieving uh, success in movies that he never ever thought possible in comic books. Iron Man was never has never been the number one comic book on the comic book charts, and yet his movies made billions. He was a top grossing superhero comic book icon, and it's because obviously the armor and the technology translated so much better to the visual uh, language of films and the and the special effects and the depiction that that clean apple. Tech looked like it it was made from Apple. It just, it just, he soared. He wrote it into this new age of which we are kind of in, maybe the the third phase of now this 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 age. But when I was a kid, 1974, grabbing these comics, it was all just starting to come together. Today we are going to visit an era of the Marvel monsters because it's Halloween. It's Halloween. It's October. It's the middle of October. We are in, in, in full Halloween mode. I, I'm not I'm not, not going to scare you, but when I went to the gas station yesterday and I went inside looking for the Reese's pumpkins, you guys, all the Christmas trees were out. And I said, really? It's October 12th and it's the Christmas trees? And the cashier laughed and she giggled and she said, yes, these are not just milk chocolate, you know, Reese's christmas trees but white So you got to the, the, the pumpkins are already gone and, and and halloween hasn't happened yet because we started celebrating ha- halloween in the last weekend of august i came on here a couple weeks back i did a werewolf by night episode it's the first marvel monsters episode in the podcast series that we're doing on these marvel monsters during this period which i started in august because i saw haunted houses haunted houses were set up in the before labor day my friends from Nashville, Tennessee, people from the Midwest were showing them going through cobwebs, bats, monsters, mummies, tombs. Yes, Halloween was alive. It was kicking. It was clawing at us in August. I was like, what's going on here? I mean, I guess we just need our holidays. We need our celebrations so bad. The earliest I've ever seen Disneyland, Universal uh, Universal Studios, and Knott's Berry Farm, a local kick-ass uh, uh, theme park around here with great roller coasters, great Great, uh, just, just awesome just entertainment at Knott's Berry Farm. If you are in Southern California, I, I don't have any affiliation, but I'm telling you as a kid, again, fell in love with Knott's Berry Farm as a kid. Thought the roller coasters were better. Kind of still think they do, but the Disneyfication of Southern California, obviously, uh, and its sister, Florida, is is undeniable. But if you're going to come to San- Southern California, if, if you're going to do Disneyland, if you're going to do Universal Studios, by all means, at least pop into Knott's Berry Farm. Kick ass Halloween haunt scares there as well. We also have the, the the famous Queen Mary in Southern California, which has Halloween stuff. All of this started earlier than I'd ever possibly imagined. When I did the Werewolf by Night episode, it booked, it aired, it, we loaded it up, and 10 days later, I was at D23, and they showed the clips of the Werewolf by Night series, the, the movie, and no one saw it coming. Nobody expected it to be there, but it was there. Boom, there it was. And I was like, wow, I I, I can't believe I was actually really ahead of the, Curb on this i mean we everyone kind of heard this was happening but then suddenly it's a finished product it's coming it's coming you know sooner than you think and now it's out as i'm doing this podcast it's been out for days so this uh series on marvel monsters has never been more relevant and today we are going to focus on one frankenstein's monster the frankenstein monster is quite possibly my favorite of all the monsters werewolf by night is exciting he is um I, I, extremely enticing, exciting, you know, werewolves, transformation of werewolves from I was a teenage werewolf to to today's teen wolf, you know, to, to, to werewolf by night. Love werewolves. But there was something about the power and the brute strength and the presence of Frankenstein's monster that I was just absolutely blown away by as a kid. Now, again, you, you got to remember, I grew up in the seventies, nineteen seventy four, I'm gonna beat this home with you guys because everything is of a time. Of a time is something that hangs over art and pop culture. Everything is of a time. Okay, the music is of a time. You know, the eighties were all about hair bands. It, it it came out from the heavy metal of of like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, and then it and then it became more digestible with prettier frontmen. You got Poison, you got Van Halen, you got Rat you got Motley Crue and all their pretty boy looks and their, you know, b- bare chest and their abs. Um, hair metal was a thing of its time. It was a thing of the 80s. When you see it now, you are immediately transfor- transported back to the 80s. It, it is certainly of a time. I use this all the time. Of a time. And, and now some stuff rises above it. Some stuff. Uh, Stevie Wonder rises above of, of its time. Elvis rises above it. The Beatles. But But for so much... For us to understand things are of a time. And 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 the thing that was happening in my youth was that the resurgence of monsters was happening. All these films that had been made in the 30s. I mean, the first Frankenstein movie was made in 1931, Boris Karloff. Well, these were having a resurgence because now, remember, there's only three networks in my youth. There is CBS, ABC, and NBC. There is no Fox. That doesn't even come until the late 80s. Fox which would later, you know, give you 90210, Melrose Place, all of these incredible soapy, you know, uh, uh, sensations. It didn't launch until the late 80s. We were in a CBS, ABC, NBC world, and then everything was was kind of affiliates out here in Southern California, and, and, and it's funny because in talking to my friends on the East Coast, the New York kids at the time, they were getting the same affiliate stuff that I was in regards to the afternoon movie on KTLA or the afternoon movie on ABC because, as I've mentioned so often, m- my pop culture obsession was being fed by the afternoon movies or the weekend movies. They had the weekend movies on Saturday and Sunday, a block generally between 2 and 4 or 3 to 5. And they would show so much, especially in the months of October. You got all the monsters, and so I got to see all the Dracula films, vampire films, werewolf films, Wolfman films, mummy films, and of course, for me, my favorites were Frankenstein. Frankenstein was the uh, de facto kind of uh, you know super monster, the absolute uh, strength of the monster lineup to me. Again, I think I responded to his brute strength, his presence. Um, kind of how disturbed and, in in all honesty, how, how misunderstood he was. But Frankenstein's monster would, in my youth, go toe-to-toe with the Avengers. Yes, he would be on covers, you know, pinning Thor down, about to pummel him, as Thor is struggling to pull back his hammer and lay a blow on him. He is swinging uh, and trading blows with Spider-Man. Okay, well, where did that all happen? How did Frankenstein's monster become a marquee cover? I am looking at the cover of Avengers 131, the cover of Avengers 132. I am looking at the cover of Marvel Team Up 36. And if you can hear, I've got them in mylars. They're crinkly, they're crinkly, they're sharp. I love my stuff in mylars. When it's in mylars and it's shinier and it's crispier, it's even better than before. It makes it even nicer. And I went and grabbed these because I knew I was gonna be talking about this today. But Marvel's 4A in 2. Frankenstein's monster was actually not by any way shape or means the first time that the character had been featured in the comic book world and the, and the great thing about the comic book world is that uh you, you can you can date it back and and go all the way back through the charts and and check and see how how, how much Frankenstein was being used in, in the comic book timeline I mean you can go back to um, in prize comics in 1940 Frankenstein is a featured Character on the cover. Um, in uh, 1945, they do a comic book adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And I'm looking at the cover of that right now on Classic Comics number 26. Batman and Robin in 1948 encounter Frankenstein in Detective Comics number 135. He's on the cover. They're jumping off a, a carriage, a horse-drawn carriage to battle you know, Frankenstein in kind of a Transylvania type setting Superman in 1961 in an, in a bizarro episode, uh, Superman in a bizarro episode is, uh, is encountering Frankenstein. It, it features bizarro, but, but, uh, Bizarro's crashing through the door and and Frankenstein is seated at a desk in like a, in like a smoking jacket alongside Superman. Okay. You got a, um, castle of Frankenstein magazine, a black and white magazine was put out in 1962. Uh, there's a, there was a publisher called Dell. They did comics. Dell is, uh, published this in 1964. My notifications are off the chain today. And when you're reading off the iPad, you're going to get these beautiful bells. And it's all part of the charm of this um, very much garage show that you are listening to. But Dell did the Frankenstein movie adaptation. They they actually uh, at, adapted uh, Mary Shelley's. Well, you didn't think we'd stop there, did you? Because Frankenstein's monster goes and appears alongside the X-Men on the cover of the X-Men in 1967. Fast forward. Now, now along this along all this time, remember the Monsters show is, is airing the Monsters, Okay. The Monsters is on TV in 1964 and Herman Munster is the comedy personification of Frankenstein's monster. He's got the bolts in his neck and, and he's, you know, got his family of monsters or monsters. And and if you watch Netflix recently, they've, they've, they've given you Rob zombies, monsters, you know, his remake. So, so again, the Frankenstein motif has has never been far or, or never really left pop culture, but, X-Men number 40 in 1967, they are coming through a steel door. And on the other side of it is Frankenstein. Okay. He's waiting there. Now, this Frankenstein was revealed to be a robot. Okay. But by the time we get to uh, 1969, Frankenstein is in an issue of Silver Surfer. And which is a critically acclaimed series by Stanley and John Buscema chronicling the Herald of Galactus in all of his um, kind of space opera Uh, adventures and and then and we get to 1973 frankenstein launches in his own comic book monster of frankenstein number one the monster of frankenstein number one this is the frankenstein that is going to battle spider-man the frankenstein that is going to stare down and battle the avengers and pummel thor and be and be featured on the cover of two bronze era no less bronze era avengers issues Again, uh, Avengers 131, Avengers 132, the Legion of the Unliving. Part of that is, is is Frankenstein. The cover of Avengers 132, Iron Man is is flying around saying we can't defeat super foes who have already died. And Thor, um, the great thing is Frankenstein is reaching over in a John Romita Senior cover, possibly laid out by Gil Kane. But and, and John Romita Senior, for many of you who guys don't know, he was a premier Spider Man artist. For about a decade, kind of seen as as, as bringing the um the, the kind of the household commercialization of Spider Man, the, the the one that was would appear on the lunch pails and the school folders, that was kind of his big claim to fame. He he really presented a much more cleaned up, uh, commercialized version of Spider Man, following the very creepy and kind of groundbreaking creation of Spider Man by its creator Steve Ditko. Frankenstein on this cover is reaching over, and he has Thor's hammer in his hands like he's about to take it from him. And Thor says, "Yet yeah, we must fight on to the end." These comics were electric to me on the cover of Marvel Team Up Sp- Mo- Frankenstein is swinging I- I'm sorry he has swung at and has Spider-Man's calf in his giant hands he's about to pull him off the wall. And Frankenstein in in you know, clear by the uh, word balloons when a word balloon has shaky like balloon effects and and, and the the letters are 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 captioned differently, he's clearly talking In monster form, he says, you attacked me. Now you will die. And uh, it's Marvel team up 36. Spider-Man versus the Frankenstein monster. Bedlam in the Balkans. And Spider-Man's thinking, how do I defeat this guy? So what was the purpose of Marvel doing Frankensteins? Why did Marvel get into the Frankenstein business? Well, the same reason they got into the Werewolf by Night business. And we cover this in the Werewolf by Night. The first Marvel Monsters episode is the Comics Code in 1973- nineteen seventy two decided to relax. The comics code had terrified the comics industries because they could literally like write you up, uh, put a check next to you, have your account reviewed, get your get your books uh, withheld. The comics code ruled over the comics companies following a lot of censorship that was put in in motion by EC comics and which was a horror label. And I mean, uh, so so much of 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 the comics code, came from the fear of going back to this punishment and censorship period. And the comic code finally put out, like was forthcoming, like we actually approve of monsters. We don't mind monsters, vampires, werewolves. Like they, they had a, you know, a list. Well, this set off werewolves and vampires at Marvel Comics. Morbius the vampire in Spider-Man, the Tomb of Dracula comic that they launched, was, which was critically acclaimed and, and deservedly so. One of the best horror comic books ever. We're gonna cover that soon. Uh, werewolf by Night, which we did, which 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 created basically a Marvel superhero Werewolf, who would battle Iron Man, who would, you know, be part of the the a seminal book in the creation of Moon Knight. Moon Knight is created to defeat, as we discussed in Werewolf by Night and in a Moon Knight episode. I did a dedicated Moon Knight episode before the Moon Knight series launched last year, which tells you that he does not exist without this werewolf comic book by Marvel, which is part of the Marvel Monsters horror movement. I mean, Moon Knight in and of himself, all of his moon. You know, icons and, and all of the moon uh, imagery that he portrays is because what are, you know, what is representative of werewolves are full moons. And so they wanted to have a mercenary who reflected that when they took him down. So, again, these are all uh, I go into this so much in depth in my Moon Night episodes in my first Marvel Monsters uh, podcast, which uh, was out a few weeks back. And so Marvel went forward with Werewolf by Night. Did very well well with Werewolf by Night. Was doing very well with Tomb of Dracula, and they looked and said, "Hey, what's next? Well, we should we should take a crack." Literally, Stan Lee's like, "Well, we should take a crack at Frankenstein." I mean, Frankenstein is beloved, and and as and as I've told you guys, I mean. To kids like me, who who were getting these these monsters, and again, you had the Frankenstein movie, you had the Bride of Frankenstein, you had Frankenstein versus the Wolfman. I mean, Frankenstein was really well represented again in these, especially in October, when the monster stuff was was all coming out, and the resurgence that I was telling you about from the 1931 movie, the, the resurgence was being felt on the toy aisles. It was being felt, especially when Halloween came out and when we only celebrated Halloween in the month of October back when I was a kid. But Frankenstein costumes, Wolfman costumes, the Universal Monsters, as they were called, were really front and center at every department store. Sears, um, Montgomery Wards, the May Company. I- I've already talked about the the Target stores before Target. This was Target before Target. It was called Jimco. There was a- another chain of, of-, of stores that that was called the, uh, oh man, it's, it's up in my mind, but, but, but Jemco was everywhere in Southern California and they had a dedicated, huge Halloween section and you'd go and you'd look, I was, I was Frankenstein. I bought the Frankenstein plastic mask, the, the, uh, the costumes. It was called the treasury. That's it. The other targets, it was called the treasury, like welcome to the treasury. And it was again, food apparel, uh, albums, toys, you know, music, uh, electronics, so, so this, th- these all, you know, paved the way. And, and, and in Southern California, the treasuries, the houses, uh, the, the the buildings that housed the treasury and housed Jemco in the late 80s, early 90s were all transformed to targets. And when I drive by them, I remember them as Jemco and as the treasury. But again, the Halloween costumes. The ho- I mean, you had Halloween albums. You had, you know, Halloween calendars. You had, and, and, and again, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula, and the mummy were the key universal monsters. Well, I think Marvel wisely now monsters are out of the bag and mary shelley's frankenstein was semi uh public domain so you know they went right at it they took their crack and and again uh frankenstein being big and brooding and this powerful creature he lends himself to comic book adaptation all those comic book adaptations i just walked you through the superman appearance the batman appearance the x-men appearance where again the frankenstein's monster is revealed to be a robot this is all very key in his visualization, his visual portrayal is lends itself naturally to the comic book company that's doing Spider-Man and the Hulk, and they did their own kind of version of Frankenstein's monster. There, Frankenstein had more of a snout, kind of a an upturned um, snout. He had different array of scars. He had longer kind of what you'd call hippie hair, you know, of the day, longer hair. Uh, he was not the 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 Boris Karloff depiction they wanted to set their their Version aside, well, apparently, again, with the boom on these monster titles doing so well, the Marvel monsters now trying to compete with what Universal has, the Universal monsters, and and doing it within their own Marvel universe, they get top talent. The editor-in-chief and a a gentleman that had been writing the Avengers and Conan and the more important books for Marvel, his name was Roy Thomas. He was Stan's hand-picked successor. He wanted to do the Monster of Frankenstein, as it was called, but he... Literally, said I couldn't add anything else to my schedule. He he reveals that like, I, I literally could not add this you know to my, to my workload. So he asked a another comrade, another peer named Gary Friedrich to take over and to do the book. Now here here's the appeal of the book because I mean again we talk about this all the time. You know why are we watching movies all the time? Why are we watching all this streaming? Why are we go, you know oogling and awing? And we are attracted to visuals. The visuals, you know, the visualization of House of Dragons on HBO Max is why the novelization of House of Dragon is jumping off the charts and selling out at all the bookstores. We like to look at the things. We like to see the pictures. We like the visualization. Artists still do not get near enough credit, near enough credit as they deserve in enticing us. We've kind of downplayed visualizations in terms of the the writer, showrunner. And, and yes, there is no House of Max. HBO show without George R. Martin's imagination as put forth in the novelization. I get it. It's a chicken and egg. It's a cycle. It feeds itself, but to go and to get to the movies and get to get to the streaming and to get to the comic books, the visuals have to be there. They have to connect. They have to be stuff you want to look at um, because otherwise they would be novels. Okay. And we are way beyond the novel business in comic books and streaming and movies. So not to diminish authors, but the artists deserve so much for when that connection is made on next next level. There's a reason all these authors want their stuff optioned and made into moving pictures because it then carries a, another level. There are there are near there are not nearly enough people reading either books or comics. Okay? So, bottom line, Gary Friedrich, Friedrich teams with one of Marvel's hottest artists at the time. His name was Mike Plug. We've talked about Mike Plug, P-L-O-O-G Plug on an episode about fantasy. In our fantasy series, in our sword and sorcery series, he was the artist that launched a book in 1978 called *Weird World*, that went on to become *Warriors of the Shadow Realm*, and they they kind of have a uh, link here. As John Buscema stepped into *Continue Wars of the Shadow Realm* after Mike Plug left, Mike Plug was so good he was scooped up by Hollywood. He did the *Lord of the Rings* animated movie uh, that Ralph Bakshi produced and directed, but Mike Plug was right there. If you see all the. Um, the character sheets for all of the hobbits for frodo for samwise for gandalf for aragorn for for sauron all of that was put forth by mike Plug. literally mike Plug worked on the x-men brian singer movie that i already mentioned the 2000 x-men summer release mike Plug was the storyboard and concept artist alongside brian singer and he speaks about his uh experiences in in, in a number of interviews. But Mike Plug is one heck of a talented guy. He's still alive. He's on Facebook. He's all over social media. Uh I, I could sing his praise all day long. He he is kind of a kissing cousin to Bernie Wrightson stylistically. I'm speaking stylistically. They they have certain certain similarities. And of course, Bernie Wrightson did a acclaimed kind of groundbreaking Mary Shelley Frankenstein adaptation that we'll get to some other time because today we're in comic books and we're doing Frankenstein that battles Spider-Man and the Avengers and the X-Men. But It was it was a natural to pick Mike Plug, who had just relaunched and and not relaunched, re reimagined Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider was a a cowboy character. He was a all dressed in white like a ghost and rode a horse, a white horse, ghost rider. Well when Marvel brought him back and made him a flaming skull, they just took that moniker ghost rider, and no longer was he a cowboy, he became this biker guy, again reflecting the biker face. Uh, Easy Rider and Beyond that was hitting the 70s. The 70s are seminal in so much of everything that you are still experiencing to this day because the artists that you love, the art that you love, the authors that you love were all growing up during the same time period as I do. This is what we were absorbing. This is what we were offered. This is what we were completely obsessed with. Mike Plug jumps on. So the book immediately has artistic pedigree up the wazoo because he's a fan favorite and he is extremely important to the Marvel monster period of, of Marvel, this period. So he jumps on and what they do is that they decide we are going to do an absolute adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. We're we're just going to straight up give them this famous book. And, uh, you know, he, he, he figured there wasn't a faithful adaptation that covered all the details. This is Mike Friedrich. And he said, so we could, you know, really expand the story in a monthly comic book. And it seemed that, that that was a reasonable approach. And of course, Mike Plug really wanted to draw that and wanted to adapt Mary Shelley's story. So he's like, there was Mike Ploog's quoting from him, from him direct. He says, there's plenty of room in the short story to expand visually. Um, so much was left to the reader's imagination, which was so great as far as I was concerned, speaking him as the artist. And uh, so they said it in the 1800s, you know, they can't really say why, but they wanted to, to kind of give a, a little bit of a twist, but the covers the uh, the the adaptation, I'm looking at them right now, the covers to two, three, four, five, the cover to number one of The Monster of Frankenstein by Marvel Comics comes out 1973 in the middle of the Marvel craze phase that is sweeping the culture. Again, the Universal Monsters have really had this second kick in due to their repetitive movie viewing by the youth of America and possibly beyond the world Europe. I just know that in the US of A, these Marvel Monsters were... All the rage in uh, the 1970s and glow-in-the-dark tech had really reached a new level and they were popping them in people's, you know, I mean, you, you got the glow-in-the-dark teeth, you got the glow-in-the-dark eyeballs. I mean, monsters, monsters, monsters. So again, Marvel is just riding an incredible wave and after having success with Werewolf by Night, they now want to really pursue Monster of Frankenstein and they have an A-list team. Ironically, you know, they pulled Mike off of Werewolf by Night and Ghost Rider, you know, to do this. Because Werewolf by Night really took it, sung It was very popular. And so between Ghost Rider and Werewolf by Night, they're looking at Mike Ploog going, this guy is monster magic. People love him. They love his depictions. They love his visual, his art. His art is great. It's so great. In, in the fantasy realm and in the monster realm, it's so weird because he had never done superheroes. But Mike Ploog will, in an interview, reveal to you he didn't want to do superheroes, okay? Now, Mike Ploog leaves after the Mary Shelley Frankenstein and a couple issues beyond. And if you want to know why he left, because there was a guy in one of the interviews that I was reading over is so I was doing my research to bring all this to you. And he's like, Hey, I don't know why Mike Pluge left. This guy wonders, well, you can, you can, he'll tell you right here. Mike Pluge says, uh, look, the Marvel stuff was blown up. My first book was werewolf by night. Uh, a week after I brought those pages in, uh, they gave me a call and, uh, asked if I was, you know, interested in being the regular artist on their werewolf book. And, uh, this was based on the stuff that he was doing for a pub, another magazine called War and Publications. And he said, sure, let's do it. He hooked up, he did Werewolf by Night. Uh, Ghost Rider. then followed that. And he's like, I took the Ghost Rider assignment because I thought I was gonna do the, the, the Western, the cowboy hero, because that's all Ghost Rider had been. But then they were like, no, 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 we're reimagining him as this, this biker. And he's like, uh, oh man. He goes, I committed to this, thinking I was gonna be riding, you know, this Frank Frazetta-esque cowboy riding around on a, on a white horse. He said so, you know, then he's part of this reimagining of Ghost Rider. And uh, he uh, blows up very popular on Ghost Rider. He did not create Ghost Rider. He was asked to illustrate the book into his mind. He thought this was a cowboy book. So again, he's like now jumping on this. And he's, his depiction, though, is, is, is very much making this Ghost Rider character even more popular. So he was shocked that he wasn't doing a Western. And so he he got a bunch of Evel Knievel. Again, the bike culture was huge. Stunt riders were huge, and and he dove into all that evil Knievel imagery. And he, as anyone will tell you, drawing the motorbike of Ghost Rider was Mike Plug's most difficult uh, feat while doing that. And because uh, he, he he wanted to pull it off and make it look great. But then they come to him and they say, Hey, man, we would really like for you to you know do more monster stuff. And so again, following Werewolf by Night. Uh, and he he pivoted to Frankenstein. The, the reason he left Frankenstein is he said they were wanting to jump time with Frankenstein and they wanted to have Frankenstein like come into the Marvel present and battle Spider-Man. And he's like, I'm not doing that. I am in no way, shape or form, gonna be doing Frankenstein in the Marvel Universe battling Spider-Man. His literal quote was, they wanted him to come into New York city and have him battle Spider-Man. And I'm like, I can't handle that man. That's not good. That's <laughs> that's I'm not doing that. So that is, uh, you know, from werewolf by night, he did these amazing issues of Frankenstein and then pivots and does ghost rider. And, uh, shortly thereafter, he does some of the fantasy fantasy stuff. And Mark Plug is swooped up by Hollywood and primarily just makes Hollywood stuff. His, his, uh, his priority out of comics, didn't see him for years. Missed seeing his name. Such an amazing uh, artist. So when people go, well, why, why did he leave Frankenstein? There it is. There it is. They wanted to bring Frankenstein into modern times, into New York City, and have him battle Spider Man. I couldn't handle that. I thought, no way, man. That's not my kind of material. I left Frankenstein, and jumped on board Ghost Rider again, thinking Ghost Rider was the Western hero and surprised that he was going to be riding, uh, drawing motorbikes instead of horses. So Mr. Mike Plug exits, but then what happens next? Uh, maybe the greatest artist in the history of comics steps in. So we as fans are treated to this. Now, again, I came to many of these issues, these 73 issues in back issues or hanging around the spinner rack. I've told you guys, if you went and saw and visited a spinner rack in the nineteen 19- 70s some retailers wouldn't clean or 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 police their spinner rack for, for months sometimes years you get a 1972 comic i could find you a 1972 comic on the spinner rack in 1974 um sometimes they, they were they were gored they were overflowing way more i have a spinner rack i have two spinner racks that i feature in my house i try not to get more than five or six comic copies on each rung but they could go 10 or 12 That you could you could fit, fit like maybe maybe Twelve fifteen, but they would be pressed. The spinner would be pushing up against the 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 newsstand, you know, the the, the newsprint material and bending it. I've t- I've talked about this often. There were no nine twos in the seventies. That's why they're so hard to come by. You had to get them off a magazine, like probably a a, a newsstand where they weren't putting them on spinner racks. They were placing them on cleanly on the racks the way that you got magazines. Like still to this day at the grocery store, that's how you got stuff that wasn't bent and creased. But in this, if you encountered a metal spinner rack, this stuff was damage from the get-go and you didn't care you wanted the comic book you didn't want the condition i didn't go in looking for high end stuff sometimes the comics that i bought literally that i bought off the spinner rack at the liquor store at 7-eleven at the market they were torn they were creased they were ripped partially who cares i wanted them i wanted to read the stories luckily none of them had pages ripped out of them okay but but i was so i was able to enjoy this but some of these books were, were floating around after the fact but it was in 75 74 so right after, as this Frankenstein monster book is on stands, that, that the time jump happens, the time jump that that he didn't want anything to do with. Well, they wrap up the Transylvania aspect or the you know Balkan ab- aspect of, of Frankenstein with, with John Buscema, who is literally – On my Mount Rushmore, you should listen to my Mount Rushmore episode. My Mount Rushmore episode will tell you exactly why the four people that I have on my Mount Rushmore is the greatest of all time. Not the greatest of the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or not, of all time. These guys can draw almost all of our contemporaries under the ground, like literally under the floor. And John Buscema and Neil Adams are two of the most amazing artists that ever touched the world of illustration much less the world of comic books okay so John Buscema steps in because and remember in my Conan episodes my very first episode of sword and sorcery I, I would recommend that if you are looking through my iPod catalog the sword and sorcery stuff has a rich history of really talented guys uh uh jumping creators men and women jumping into the field jumping on another trend that was really blowing up and that trend was fantasy and we call it fantasy slash sword and sorcery They wanted John Buscema to do Conan when they got the license of Conan, which they also got quite accidentally, and and I cover that in the podcast. But Stan Lee, who was heading Marvel at the time, would not release John Buscema to do Conan because he was too important for the superhero line. And at at that time, when Conan was happening, they were having him draw Avengers and Fantastic Four and Silver Surfer and Submariner. He was doing four books on and off for Marvel Comics. And why wouldn't you? He is literally like... Frank Frazetta, Hal Foster, the the most brilliant, beautiful figure work, backgrounds, uh, storytelling. He took all of Jack Kirby's dynamics and applied it to his kind of Frank Frazetta, Hal Foster base and just took off and was the darling. The how to draw comics the Marvel way that shaped so much of my generation was illustrated every single page by John Buscema. It, he, he art directed, illustrated, depicted, showed, taught an entire generation how to kick all sorts of righteous ass in comics. John Busema was our teacher. Well, John Busemel was also Marvel's and possibly comic book's greatest talent. They grabbed him and he jumps in for Mike Plug and issues and draws the next four issues. They haven't pivoted yet to modern times, but he does Frankenstein versus Dracula and these comics are awesome imagine all of the power of Jack Kirby with all of the illustrative uh technique and and nuance of Frank Frazetta and that is John Buscema doing this um 19th century monster bash between Dracula and uh Frankenstein's monster I mean that the hits are are serious they're furious so Marvel put out a trade paperback of the monster of Frankenstein I've had it for several years now I'm sure it was released uh, some somewhere around the Halloween season of, of years past I think this is out in 2016 2017 but they they, they collect it all it's a nice partial not quite a phone book but man it's it's thick it's heavy it's got all these comics that I'm sharing with you right now it even it does not have the Avengers issues but it does include the Marvel team up but in these issues where Frankenstein battles Dracula I mean these are just I mean, incredible blows back to back, just amazing, amazing action, drawing, drama. That uh, there is um, John Bisema always knew exactly where to put his camera for maximum drama and effect. That's why How to Draw Comic Books the Marvel Way is so amazing. These Mike Plug issues, oh my gosh, don't sleep on those. I mean, it is. It, it, so, so you've got two master illustrators, top of the line draftsmen, artists working on this. Okay, this wasn't handed down like we talked about recent episodes, the the demise of Atlas Comics. You're getting six issues by Mike Plug and then four issues by John Buscema, okay? Now, John Buscema only drew four issues of Frankenstein and then left. And I'm going to tell you, the reason he left is Stan Lee said he was needed elsewhere. Stan Lee needed him to go and draw more of their superhero line and and get the superhero stuff on track because that's what Stan obviously valued the most the characters that he had a part in creating. Look John B.se even steps in and does issues of Spider-Man. I mean, there is almost no books during this period that he is not somehow flying in and out of his pencil was that in demand. But uh, you know the writer says I wasn't really thrilled. To lose Mike Plug and John Buscema in the same year. Imagine you're the writer and you're 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 Gary Friedrich. You're working with Mike Plug. Well, he's gone. He's leaving. And then then you're working with John Buscema. And well, he's gone. He's leaving. And what was to follow was some really really strong art. You know, guys guys like Bob Brown uh, would follow. But but after the John Buscema issues is the time jump. And this is the important stuff. In issue 12, and they renamed it. It's no longer the monster of Frankenstein. Now they're just calling it the Frankenstein monster. And how they got him into the modern era, how they got Frankenstein into the modern era, which Mike Ploog didn't want to depict and John Buscema didn't hang around either. They did it via the Captain America method. They froze him in suspended animation a block of ice. He was underneath a uh, a boat. Uh, And when that boat arrived in its port of call, he had thawed and awakened and he you know emerges from the boat and now our our monster is in modern times and they show at the end of 11 that he has fallen into the ice and you know and so then once once lifted up out of the water by this ship that's where they discover him they discover him floating in the in the water a man a man frozen in a block of ice i'm looking at the pages right now and they uh they haul him above bored and then he thaws and then he awakens and, and what do you think happens when a, when a monster awakens all hell breaks loose and he is walking the streets of new york city there is also at the same time marvel's doing a monster unleashed magazine also featuring frankenstein frankenstein is battling werewolf by night in his comic werewolf by night but look why do you even have a uh, frankenstein monster if you're marvel and you don't have him fight your heavyweights and and that's where like i said we come to marvel team up and we come to uh we come to not only marvel team up but these seminal avengers issues and now i'm buying comics i am this is again my 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 time it's my time to shine baby and i remember distinctly begging my parents to let me buy the cover of avengers 131 they said no Now, ironically, we were on the way home from a Sunday night service. Yes, I had to go to church on Sunday nights. It was a complete drag. There were a few times that it was necessary, as I've covered on some of these other shows, to fake an illness, to stay home, to watch Six Million Dollar Man, which was airing on Sunday nights at the time. I had to see him battle Sasquatch. So fire up that thermometer. Give yourself that um, fever. Tell your parents you can take care of it while they're at church for two hours. On this particular Sunday evening, we pulled off into the 7-Eleven on the corner of Magnolia and Broadway that I have covered so many times in this podcast. And as we pulled into this 7-Eleven, I walked in with my dad. He was getting some soda. He was getting some, some snacks. Avengers 131 was staring at me. It was staring me down. Frankenstein, Gil Kane cover, reaching out, Hawkeye Thor, Vision, Iron Man, cowering below. There was other um, dead Marvel characters, Baron Zemo among them rising up Wonder Man from the Avengers. But it's Frankenstein who is drawn and depicted the largest and is the most eye-catching. And, you know, a couple of years ago, they made Deadpool the king of all monsters, okay? And on the cover that they asked me to do, they they were like, you got to put all the other monsters. I'm like, I can do this. I put Man-Wolf, which I've talked to you guys. I put Man-Thing. I put Werewolf by Night. I put Man-Wolf. I put Morbius but it was Frankenstein that I was so excited to draw. Frankenstein right there in the back of the collage of characters, central figure of Deadpool, but in the back, there is Frankenstein. I'm looking at this Frankenstein right now and I can remember being seven years old begging and they're like, no, because they thought it was demonic. It was monstrous. It was not of the Lord. It was not of heaven and good Bible stuff. So I got it the next day on my bike on the way home from, come on, you're not gonna stop me. 25 cents, I can, I can, I can manage 25 cents even then. Like I knew that my dad's, Change would fall into the couch, and sometimes I think he enjoyed me finding it. But man, I had that quarter, boy! Oh, boy, did I sneak that around the house, hid it in my uh, peachy folder on the way home, put it on a shelf underneath some stuff in my room, and and thankfully it was never discovered. But I had to be very careful. You know, I had to be very careful listening if someone was coming down the hall and if my mom was going to enter the room, so that I could cover that comic up in no time. Because man, she was already getting upset. Like I said, I don't know what was going on with Master of Kung Fu. I think it was the depiction of Fu Manchu. They thought he looked extremely evil. They didn't want me being, you know, they're they're, they're parents. They're they're trying to keep their, their kid away. But this Avengers rocked my world much more so the following issue with the cover, as I said, with Frankenstein battling Thor, throwing down with the Avengers. You guys, this is the stuff that excitement is made of. Oh my gosh, these comic books are fantastic. Frankenstein's appearance in the Avengers, he was part of a... Legion of un, un, the, the Legion of the Unliving that was summoned by the bad guy to thwart the Avengers as they close in their pursuit of him, okay and uh, and the battle between, Thor and Frankenstein goes as you would imagine. Frankenstein drops a couple of devastating blows. Here you hear the crinkle. Hear the crinkle. That's the Mylar, the crispy Mylar. I'm pulling my comic book out. I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to share this with you. Oh, I got a nice copy. And and of course the bad guy as you know is Kang the Conqueror, who is going to be um appearing soon. So maybe we'll get, you know, Kang the Conqueror summoning Frankenstein out of the timeline to battle Thor on the uh, on the big screen. No, I don't somehow I don't think so. But uh you know when Thor catches up with this monster in this in this maze that Kang has summoned to uh, to thwart the Avengers and and hold them off, uh, Thor comes in direct contact with the mighty Frankenstein, and 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 as I said, uh, of course there's blows. Through, I mean, big blows, big blows. He, he he. Some of you guys don't know that Thor was a character called Donald Blake, a physician who would. That was his human form. They really haven't covered the human form in the MCU, so that may confuse you, but try 30 years of that in the comic book world, okay? And and so Frankenstein grabs Dr. Banner with his staff, and in record time, Banner is able to smash the staff and transform himself to Thor in in time to, uh, to battle Frankenstein off of him. Again, Dr. Donald Blake was the secret identity that the human form that Thor would embody on earth to walk among us but when he needed to be thor it was very much a shazam type existence and i can i understand why they got away from that but for many many i mean the Stanley jack kirby thor donald blake was absolutely a part of it my youth donald blake was a part of it walt simonson was the first time in the 80s shedding donald blake but he kept coming back it was it was too rich of a story to have this. Um and the thing about Donald Blake, he used a cane because he was limp, he was he was lame. It's Donald Blake that actually discovers the hammer of Thor, lifts it and transforms. And it's the first time a mortal had this. So I'm gotta get you a little bit of this backstory in order for you to understand. This looming Frankenstein monster is about to pin Donald Blake and grabs him. Donald Blake tries to smack him away with his staff, but then he's able to smack the staff on the ground, again, it culminating in kind of a Shazam effect, which transports him into the body, and he becomes Thor, God of Thunder, and Thor says, Get the hence, creature! Boom! Blast Frankenstein. Frankenstein lowers his blows and goes to blows, and they, and they trade blows as Thor and Frankenstein before Thor has pity on him because he sees what a sad, misunderstood character he is and uh and again that's exciting Thor was my my issue the issues of the Avengers back then not all of them would regularly feature Thor but the ones that did were my favorites and then of course the most popular character that Marvel had in their most their their number two best-selling book Marvel team-up that's the that's the tape that's the mylar you're hearing this is my crinkly copy of Marvel team-up number 36 with Spider-Man throwing down with Frankenstein's monster. Once Upon a Time in a Castle is the name of the story. And Spider-Man is captured within the first five pages. He's attacked. He's captured. He wakes up on a bench in the presence of Baron Ludwig von Stupp. You think I'm making this up? I'm reading the panel. Baron Ludwig, L-U-D-W-I-G, von, V-O-N Stupp, S-H-T-U-P-F. Whoever was writing this was having a great time. As an adult, it tracks differently than it did um, as a kid. But it, Spider-Man says, don't tell me. Let me guess. <laughs> You're a mad scientist. <laughs> great dialogue. But he is on a table strapped into, trapped in these giant metal coils next to Frankenstein's monster, okay? Um, and Frankenstein monster says, I am a prisoner like you, okay? So he's he's, t- he's telling his tale. This is the Frankenstein monster who had his own series. Well, Spider-Man blasts. Baron von Stupf away and he and Frankenstein then, um, break free of their bonds and smash through the castle walls. And they are out in the snow as von Stupf von Stupf's army of men on skis are skiing around looking for Frankenstein and Spider-Man who are positioned behind a boulder. And, uh, And then Frankenstein tells his story. He literally tells his story of his creation, of being trapped in the ice, of being carried here in the United States, of emerging, of his battle with World by Night. Dracula, I mean, if you are a Spider-Man fan and you have not encountered Frankenstein up until this moment, now you are totally, Frankenstein is on your radar. You are completely like, wow, Marvel has a Frankenstein. Well, they encounter another skier, a routine skier. The the hilarity of this is Spider-Man is subdued in New York City. And then he wakes (laughs) up. This is great. That's why I love I love comic books. This is where he awakens in Europe, after being felled in the streets of New York City, and and passing out, and then awakens in this lab with Baron Ludwig von Stupf. Okay, and uh, they then escape in in the Balkans, and 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 he is on the run. He's on the lamb with with Frankenstein, but of course, uh, this female skier that they find that helps assist them in their attack. So the, the, the army of skiers does in, in fact uh, circle Frankenstein and Spider-Man and they're able to get out of this battle, but with the assistance of this female agent who then gasses them. A- after they save her life, she gasses them. They wake up in another castle. This, this the, the jumps in this are fantastic. They wake up in another castle coming to at her feet and she says, I am Agent Clemmer. I am an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I have been assigned to take out von Stupf. So um, says that what Von Stupp was trying to do was to take Spider-Man's abilities and Frankenstein's ability and make a monster supreme, a monster supreme. And she says, will you help me? So now Agent Klemmer, K-L-E-M-M-E-R, and Frankenstein and Spider-Man are going to attack Stupp's castle and bring him to his knees. And I think you all um, understand exactly how that is going to work out, except it's a two-part episode. And do you remember a couple of episodes back when I gave you a recommendation about Manwolf and this awesome Sword and Sorcery Marvel premiere? I think it's 4546 featuring Manwolf, who is John Jana, J. Jonah Jameson's son named John Jameson. Well, the story is about to conclude, and, and they're attacking the castle. And, and who does Von Stuff have? Well, now he has Manwolf. And he's like, I have a monster that will defeat you all. So you're left on a cliffhanger. Frankenstein, Spider-Man, Agent Clemmer from Shield are being stared down by a very feral, very angry Man-Wolf, who on the next page, Marvel team-up number 37, murder means Man-Wolf. Man-Wolf leaps out, attacking Spider-Man, Agent Clemmer, and Frankenstein, and Frankenstein has his way with him, kind of tossing Man-Wolf around, although um, Man-Wolf gets a nice um, claw in on his skull, and and before Frankenstein uh, drops, he throws Man-Wolf into the wall, but it doesn't stop him, and where do we end? We end up that... Manwolf and Von Stupp are enough to take down Spider-Man and, Wolf and, and, and Frankenstein, and we are right back on the platform where they are about to do the transference and create a monster supreme. But meantime, Agent Clemmer pleads with Man-Wolf, who is able to calm down and now realizes that he has been controlled by Von Stup, and he's going to turn around, and he's going to help Agent Clemmer. And, and, and Spider-Man uses his webs to gum up the uh, the circuitry that's trying to make the transference of power from himself and Frankenstein into the monster supreme, but they are able to escape and subdue von Stupp, and then Manwolf runs into the forest and and escapes, and of course uh, Agent Clemmer is just glad that everyone made it out alive. They hop a transport shield vehicle out of there, and uh, and Frankenstein is left to wander alone. And he says to Agent Clemmer, Spider-Man says, it's tough. Even a creature like him wants to be loved, remember? And Agent Clemmer says, I suppose so, Spider-Man. He must be so lonely. And you see Frankenstein returning to the woods, wandering as their helicopter takes off. You guys, the Marvel Age of Monsters, the Monster of Frankenstein, you have no idea what it's like. Walking in and seeing the Frankenstein monster throwing down with Thor, throwing down with Spider-Man. I keep repeating it because it's that exciting. It's that amazing. It was that enticing to me. These comics are great. Those Marvel team-ups, by the way, were drawn by John Buscema's younger brother, Sal Buscema, who is also unheralded as an amazing storyteller, illustrator, artist. He, He drew so much of the books that entertained me in my youth. The Marvel monster movement started when the comics code said, yeah, we don't mind monsters anymore. You can do that. We won't police you. We won't write you up. We won't have your books taken off the shelves. Uh, we we won't, you know, impose sanctions. It's just like the, the, you know, the United Nations, we will not impose sanctions on you. Well, once that happened and the sanction threat was gone, werewolf, Dracula, man-wolf, vampires, and the monster of Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, roared through the Marvel Universe across the years, launching in 73, powering through Marvel in 1975, 1976. Now, you guys, you know, they didn't end there, you know, because eventually you're going to get cool comics like Doc Frankenstein. And then DC made him like a super agent, I think, in their Seven Soldiers saga. I mean, there is something that it's not just me, guys. Like I said, people my age are obsessed with Frankenstein's monster. They love him. They love Frankenstein. And and comic books has always been so kind of Frankenstein and just seeing him in his his lumbering form they adjusted his his design made him look slightly different than the Boris Karloff like I said he had the longer hair much whiter pale face scars stitches on his face Um, the bolts aren't there he had the giant kind of heavy coat I mean he's just an imposing figure even looking at it now and introducing it with the top flight artists like Mike Pluk like John Buscema helped just the book take off and at that point running a couple years running you know 15, 16 issues, and then continuing on into all of these mainstream Marvel titles meant that there was a serious impact. Again, you know, nowadays you look at Venom, you look at Carnage, Marvel has their own monsters. You know, you could say, well, they had Hobgoblin back then. They had villains. Now they truly do have really great monsters. I mean, these sculpts, the statues, the depictions, the movies of Venom. He's fantastic. He is truly as frightening a monster to the kids of this age as Frankenstein and Wolfman and Dracula were to me at my age. But the monster of Frankenstein... Uh, What else are we going to discuss in October? It's Halloween. Yes, Frankenstein ran around. The only thing he didn't do was throw down with, like, the thing. And if he did and you know about it and I don't, then let me know because that would would really excite me. But, uh, boy, Frankenstein, who knew? I'm sure Mary Shelley never imagined that her character would be adopted into uh, superhero lore back in the hundreds of years back when she envisioned. And I'm sure Boris Karloff, when he was making the 1931 Frankenstein movie, didn't 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 think that uh, hey, someday this character is gonna battle with superheroes. At the time that he was making it, it was probably Superman and Batman. Uh no, I don't I, there weren't any. There, there were very few. So Boris Karloff, I am sure, was not uh, you know, thinking that, hey, you know, this monster, this incredible adaptation of Mary Shelley's monster that I'm adapting, is gonna is gonna hop around a superhero universe, much less Battle characters that hadn't even existed yet, like Spider-Man, and and so and, and then become secret agents themselves in, in the pages of DC Comics. So uh, again, 1931 was the birth film of the film. I, I would not have known of Frankenstein other than the movies. Again, the importance of the movies in pop culture over the, the 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 books. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is celebrated, but I only knew of Frankenstein due to the Barrett, Boris Karloff movies. Frank, you know, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Frankenstein versus. You know Wolfman, and seeing him adapted into the pages of Marvel Comics by some of Marvel's top talents, and then eventually incorporated into their universe was extremely exciting. Those are some of my favorite monster memories. I loved Werewolf by Night. I loved Tomb of Dracula. But the big brute strength, the imposing presence, and the sadness—again, as 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 they fly away—and oh, it must it must be terrible being lonely like this. There is a sadness, you know, that they also played upon in the Hulk show on TV where David Banner was tortured by being a a monster and he had to leave every town every week because he wasn't accepted. His secret got out. He was a monster. He was tortured. And they'd play that sad song. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, it would make you cry at the end of every Hulk. Poor Bill Bixby, the actor who was portraying David Banner. Remember they didn't call him Bruce Banner. They called him David Banner. David Banner would wander off, catch the next bus, hitch the next ride out of town because as a monster, he could find no loneliness. He could not find love. Well, the same was true of Frankenstein's monster, and he was never more exciting to me than when he was raging through the Marvel Universe. If you want to give those comics, that those two Marvel team-ups are badass, and these two Marvel team-ups 36 and 37 and Avengers 132 and 131 are where you're going to find the most prominent representation of Frankenstein throwing down with the Marvel icons that you know and love. And it is the perfect time to have talked about this, given that Halloween is upon us. It's almost here. It's been here since August. All the Halloween haunts are kicking all sorts of ass. So that was great. I hope you guys appreciate that. Marvel did do a trade paperback. If you want to jump on Amazon and grab it, uh, again, it's it's a uh, it carries a... Let's see, Marvel, The Monster of Frankenstein is a $39.99 book. Maybe it's on discount from from Amazon or from from online. Uh, maybe there's a digital transportation. I'm going to tell you, the Mike Ploog, John Buscema, you got about 11 issues of spectacular art there. Uh, Bob Brown is on actually issue 11 and – And the book runs to like issue 15, 16 before pivoting towards all these guest appearances. So uh, the the Spider-Man team-ups are in The Monster of Frankenstein. You you will enjoy it, especially during this month of October. Really cool, really great depiction. Just great walking down the history books with you guys today in case you did not know. And he will be seen again when when we do our wrap-up of our Marvel monsters when I tackle the Legion of monsters and the Legion of monsters seems like it's upon us given the events of the werewolf by night TV show. Again, my werewolf by night coverage, which details the rise of, <laughs> I can't believe they called him Jack Russell. Um, like a Jack Russell terrier, uh, uh werewolf by night is in the first part of our Marvel monster series. So make sure and check that out. It makes a great companion with this history of Marvel's, Frankenstein that we have that we have just done. Uh, what a blast sharing this with you guys! I hope you enjoyed it as nearly as much nearly as much as I did. So I went ahead and moved the Rob's recommendations to the end of the show on today's episode and 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 today's recommendations. We can't stay in the Marvel space all the time, but I'm going to give you my single favorite job by a stellar talent. Yes, the same man that brought you Thanos, that brought you Adam Warlock, that, that redefined Adam Warlock, that brought you Dreadstar that brought you Gamora, that brought you Drax, such a a massive influence and an amazing talent, Jim Starlin. It was in the early 80s, and Mr. Jim Starlin was doing a lot of work over at DC Comics. He He had pivoted away from Marvel, and he was doing some work for DC Comics. And I am going to tell you today that DC Comics Presents number 36 is Superman and Starman against Mongol the Merciless. You guys... It is a self-contained one-issue. DC Comics presents was Marvel's version. Uh, was I'm sorry, was DC's version of Marvel Team Up. So Superman teamed up with a different character each time. Well, Steve Ditko had reimagined the creator of Spider-Man. Doctor Strange had reimagined this character. Star had this new Starman character, which was more of a kind of a galactic, kind of in the Adam Warlock Silver Surfer vein. He traveled with this cool like battle cane staff. Um, incredibly. Cool-looking, different than the Starman that Marvel, that 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 DC, sorry, would re re kind of rejuvenate in the '90s. This was like this amazing cosmic uh, Starman. Well, Paul Levitz, I believe, is the author of this issue, but Jim Starlin, pencils and inks, does all the art himself. It is a self-contained story upon which Superman is drawn into this conflict alongside Starman because. Mongol the Merciless, which Jim had created for this DC Comics present storyline that he had done earlier in the year or a year earlier, where Mongol was introduced. And 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 to be honest, Mongol is very Thanos-like. And Mongol has been utilized in incredible Superman stories by no less than Watchman's Alan Moore. Uh Mongol, what because he was I mean again, the minute you saw him, you're like, I love this character. The visual design was like sold him as a kid. He battled Superman, Supergirl. Uh, Green Lantern, Hot Girl. Uh, he had War World. He had he had a planet like a Death Star that he flew around that would battle other races' worlds. He, he was like a world crusher, uh, incredibly powerful. This came out in 1981. It was the, the just so exciting. Mongol attempts to take the throne, and and wants to uh, basically become the new ruler. Of an empire that Starman has ties to. And Superman is called in alongside Starman, and it is a super cosmic throwdown. It is the blows that they trade when they finally get to the throne room and Superman and Starlord, Star Lord. I, I I literally am, am dying to get pages from this book. The art is so spectacular, it is so brilliant. The figure work, the faces, the staging, the action, it is some of the best. I have told Jim Starlin to his face. I think he's like, oh no, Rob's gonna mention DC Comics. Presents thirty six to me. I mean, he's proud of it. He loved it. He put everything into it. When he penciled and inked it, it was always something that he liked a little more. It wasn't just the page rate, and it, and it showed nobody uh, embellished and inked themselves better than Jim Starlin in this cosmic, self-contained story: Superman and Star Lord. This cosmic being with his kick-ass costume, big kind of goggle eyes, a little bit, little bit invincible costume-esque, uh, except way before Starman and. Uh, Superman team to defeat the cover alone. If you're googling it right now, Superman Star Lord, Starman Mongol the Merciless, who is very, very Thanos like, who was very Dark Side like. So big cosmic badass presence. I mean, you will get shots of him literally pummeling Superman into the ground, like like into the concrete, into the stone, smacking Starman, and and the and and the two of them literally understanding that they are taking on this incredible. Incredible cosmic power. Mongol and his war world are feared throughout the universe. We've already seen that in the years leading up to this. And so you get this one shot. DC Comics presents number 36. And I could not recommend a DC comic more than I am recommending this epic by Jim Starlin and Paul Levitz were both listed as the writer. And then Jim Starlin does all the art. It is one shot. It's going to be affordable. It's been reprinted in a Superman versus Mongol because his battles with Mongol again. Alan Moore dipping his feet into the toe in like 1986, 19 uh, about 85, 86, doing this amazing Superman annual featuring Mongol and a conflict with with a lot of kind of dark imagery and 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 kind of uh, emotionally, mentally battling Superman. Really powerful book. Mongol created by Jim Starlin in battle with Starman in Superman DC Comics presents buy it for the action buy it for the art buy it for the conflict buy it for the story it, it checks all the boxes that is rob's recommendation by a industry icon legend and and this is one of his best ever self-contained you're gonna dig it trust me on this one that is my rob recommendation for the day you guys at the end of every episode i tell you uh that i'm going to read your amazing comments that you guys leave, leave for me and i'm always so ridiculously humbled by the reviews, the reviews that you leave, leave for us help us, help, help separate us, help, help position us on the platform. And look, bottom line, we could not be more humbled. We could not be more humbled by the generosity that you are that you are sharing. You know, the ways that you guys have been so generous. <laughs> uh, so so here's a great one. I'm gonna read you two. One says, uh, if you love Rob's comics, this podcast is for you and it says uh, rob's comics rob's love for comics is undeniable his enthusiasm is is contagious and uh i have loved his art and stories since i was a teenager his excitement for the medium is still present and it's still great thank you rich for this generous five star review um rich ink 6 but i i always appreciate you guys it, it, it's it's quick it's to the point rich ink 6 uh i do still have the passion and the love for the medium and Just a general reminder that this show, before I read you this next one, this show is free. I do it for free. I pay people to help me assemble it, produce it, load it, but I don't get a dime off this podcast for two and a half years. I do this as, as a a go between between you and me. I want to inform you. I want to share everything that I love, the magazines that I have that aren't available on the New York comic con show floor, the busiest comic con, the biggest, the, the biggest, most expansive comic book retail for, for back issues, new issues, uh, you couldn't find any of these interview magazines. If they were they were produced at such a small rate that they're gone. And if you don't have these interviews, and and when these creators speak, and like I said earlier, of a time is a thing of a time, and these are of a time. And and when people talk about their experiences, even if it's in 1983 and they're 30 years old, and now they're 65, it doesn't matter. And it, the, the, what they said there matters. The view of their work matters. The, the, I can I can I can share with you interviews by Howard Chaikin and Neil Adams and Walt Simonson and all these other guys. Their words matter, my words in these interviews matter. So again, we provide this for free. I'm more than happy to, to, to just keep doing this because we are kind of all jiving and, and jamming together. Well, this, I, I love when the uh, when the haters sneak in and, and I've, I've never read one before, but this one I will. It uh, says, the Royals are fantastic. It says, uh, Rob is a word salad chef with much to say about nothing. He pretends to connect with his fans while he pickpockets them. So that is from Royals Fanatic, uh, Fanatic. Says Rob is only here for a buck. This this review has a generous one star. Rob is only here for a buck, and it says uh, again, I am a words. Rob is a word salad chef with much to say about nothing. He pretends to connect with the fans while he pickpockets them. And again, the t- the, the title of this one star is Rob is here for the bucks. Okay. The show is free. There is no ads. We aren't we are not charging you. So I had to share that with you because I think um I think that speaks for itself and I wanted to share that with you guys and I thank you so much. Please continue to leave uh your uh, generous reviews and your five-star ratings. It helps us so much stand out. And I appreciate you. And I thank you for listening. You guys, I am all over social media. I am on Instagram. Simple at Rob Liefeld on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. I read your messages. I read your, uh, your comments, your DMS. Thank you so much for interacting with me on, on, on Instagram where I am, where I am at Rob Liefeld, R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. On Twitter, I am a little longer. It's Robert Liefeld. The Rob Liefeld name was gone before I got to it in 2008, but Robert Liefeld lives and breathes, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, Robert Liefeld on Twitter, at Rob Liefeld on Twitter with a blue check. Both Instagram, at Rob Liefeld, and at Robert Liefeld on Twitter have blue checks. It tells you it's really me, not some phony account. Um, I'm not going to ask you for money or pictures. Uh, we, we've got like Josh Brolin the other day was showing how this is not me. This is not an account. These the people ghost accounts sometimes. But the way to disseminate if you're talking to the real deal is the blue check. So keep that blue check alive and well and know that you are talking to the real deal. So also, I am on an app at Twitter and Instagram. Again, I read all your mentions. I love talking to you guys. I love interacting with you. I just want to throw that in there. Uh let, let's keep it up. Let's keep up the, the conversation. It's so fun interacting with you guys. I have an app that I'm on called Whatnot. You guys can find me, Whatnot. Download it. It is the state-of-the-art collectible app that is completely changing the collectible business. You can buy apparel, you can buy shoes. Toys, Funkos, comics. I'm obviously in the Toys, Funkos, comics uh, categories, and I do shows on Wednesdays and Saturdays. I'd love to see you there. I draw on comics. It's called Remarks. I used to freak me out. I've gotten kind of good at it. I, didn't, I couldn't believe, like, wait, we're defacing the comics now? Yes, we are. We are defacing the comics with art, but you guys dig it. Signed exclusives. Whatnot and I have, have entered into a number of exclusive comic book covers that we're doing, and I am loving sharing them with you guys. Uh, you can only get them on my live stream. So much like a new Spider-Man. There's a brand-new Spider-Man, number one. Uh, cover a variant cover there's two versions of it you can only get that on the whatnot stream it's not on my website brigade remastered we did a a brand new series of of covers on that exclusive to whatnot you can only get that from me on whatnot so visit me on whatnot I'm Rob Leifeld over there get it download it uh, sign up for it it's so exciting we have a one-day turnaround on shipping because we're amazing and 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 we want to get this stuff into your hands. I am no longer doing conventions for the foreseeable future. I am done on the convention circuit. So if you want to interact with me when I'm on my live feed, a lot of people last night on last night's feed, uh, they were like, "This is better than the podcast." I'm a little, I'm a little less filtered. Uh, and so so if you want to jump on and, and join me, uh, check me out. I'd love to see you. I, I I do blather on and sometimes talk about all sorts of um, ridiculous stuff. Obviously, just like this uh, podcast that you get for free, I'm there. For the buck. Okay, so you guys over on Facebook, we have a group. It's called Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group. Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group, because Extreme Studios was my studio. We'd love to have you join us over there. Myself or a moderator named T- Terry Sala S A L A will click you through. That's how you know you're at the right place. There's a lot of different groups on Facebook. My group, my group, not a page. It's a group. It's Rob Liefeld. We'll click you in. We'll get you get you through the membership, and then behave. Be nice. We like. To, we want people to be nice. We promote not only just the stuff that I've done and created like Deadpool and Cable and X-Force, also anything I've worked on, Avengers, Fantastic Four, uh, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. over at Archie Comics, Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe, uh, Turtles, anything is on the table. Please join us. Uh, Let's have fun. Come and visit us, Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group on Facebook. Everybody, you know that I think that you need to feed your soul, and so much of it is done via reading and consuming pop culture streaming, Um, comic books, novels. Do that. Recline, relax. You got to take a day off, an evening off. Get some time to yourself. I also recommend eating great, fun food. Make it junk food. Make it pizza. Make it tacos. Make it burritos. Make it, make it a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a chili burger, a chili cheese dog. I, I, look, I, I, brought up at the beginning. I was going in to buy Reese's peanut butter cup. The, the pumpkins. I love them the most, but they're gone. It's middle of October and they're gone. They're, they've been replaced by the Christmas tree. The Christmas tree is now. Uh, what you're getting at the point of purchase. But you know what I did? I grabbed a bag of Doritos too because I wanted it. I needed that nacho cheese dust. Whatever that chemical is, is fantastic. It made me feel better. I got home, popped that bag, watched the latest episode of Andor. And were my were, was my spirit soaring? It was. I, I I interacted with the arts and so should you. And, and, and whether it's a comic book, a great novel, my wife is a voracious reader. She is reading a book every day. She burns through books like once a week. She started a new one when we went to New York the day after she was done. These are big novels too. I mean, and it feeds her soul. We talk about it, the mysteries, the turns, the suspense. I don't care if it's streaming, if it's a movie, if it's a comic book, if it's a novel. You guys dip into the arts. Go to a museum. Have fun with your friends. Go to a theme park. Go to a Halloween haunt. Get outside. Uh, That's all art as well. They've, they've, They've just dressed those up with so much great art and costumes. Um, make a new costume. You cosplayers blow me away. You guys, I just want your spiritual well-being, your your mental well-being, your physical well-being, and your emotional well-being. Those four aspects: mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. Feed them and uh, and 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 wash it down with a milkshake because because that's the Rob way. Okay. Hey, thank you so much for listening to me. I can't believe you guys. We've done so many episodes. You guys are still here with me. Thank you for spreading the word. I love it, and. Uh, <laughs> We will be here. We will continue to be free. Uh, Not only free in the land of the free, but free in the podcast is free. Thank you. Please swing back around. Find me right here. That's where I'll be. We will most certainly, absolutely, positively talk again real soon.